Welcome to IS's Corporate Solutions, ESG Unlocked, a podcast that features engaging and insightful discussions with ESG experts around the world. I am your host, Pamela Mutomwa. This is our season one finale, and I thought it would be a terrific opportunity to do something unique for this episode with a panel of experts in the ESG and sustainability field. This episode is meant to inspire, inform, and enlighten you from an interest, passion, and skills perspective. The panel will feature four guests. Candace Smith, who is the social leader for ESG at American Woodmark. Lynn White, who is the senior vice president and also the chief of staff to the CEO at Genworth Financial. And a couple of colleagues of mine from IS's Corporate Solutions, that's Logan McCoy, who is an Associate Director of Sustainability Product Management, and Anthony Triplin, who is an Executive Director of Sales. So let's start with a round robin of introductions. I'll call on each of you to share your name, job, and a brief description of your role with your organization, just so our listeners can associate a name with, you know, in the background based on your voices. So Anthony, we'll start with you. Perfect. Hello, everyone. My name is Anthony Triplin. I'm the Director of Account Management here at uh, ISS Corporate Solutions. My team's responsible for managing our corporate issue relationships in the Americas across our four product lines. Awesome. Lynn? I am Andrea Lynn White, but I use Lynn because Andrea sounds very adult. And I am the Executive Vice President of Government Relations. It's really external affairs at Genworth, along with the Chief of Staff to the the company CEO. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. We're excited to have you, Logan. Yeah, thank you, Pamela. Uh, my name is Logan McCoy, Associate Director of Sustainability Solutions within the product team at ICS. In simple terms, my team and I are responsible for managing the product's uh, lifecycle of a suite of software solutions that help our corporate clients manage their sustainability, ESG, and reporting programs. Awesome. And Candice? Thanks, Pamela. Thank you for having me. I'm Candace Smith, and I am the social leader at American Woodmark. So I absolutely love the various backgrounds we have here, and it really is such a pleasure to have you all. You know, experts in our field typically work in their respective areas for what can often be personally motivated reasons, as a lot of what we tackle and challenge in current business practices is typically related to ethics and morals. What led you into this industry and what continues to motivate you? This industry sort of grew on me organically while I was at ICS. I started 10 years ago. And at that time, we were uh, primarily focused on uh, governance and executive compensation. And it wasn't until 2018 when we first launched solutions centered around ESG. And I realized at that point, you know, you could sense the overall interest from our clients, you know, our headcount capabilities around sustainability started to grow there. And as far as like a motivating factor, just wanted to meet the moment, having the opportunity both internally and externally to meet, consult with experts in the field, you know, and then understand the impact of, it, of, of what ESG was, was, was having on our company, as well as uh, the, the clients that we serve in itself motivates me and, uh, and to swim in the pond with, uh, again, experts in the field. It's been pretty cool. You've seen sort of the evolution of ISIS corporate solutions as well. Yeah. It's great. How about you, Lynn? What led you into this industry and what continues to motivate you? 
So, you know, I think this is such an interesting question and I had to, I had to really think about this and what I ultimately determined is I really believe that tomorrow holds so much promise and, and how soon and to what extent we can realize that promise really is inextricably linked to not only what we do today, but how we do what we do. So if we start now to establish some better baseline norms today, we can accelerate advancement tomorrow. And I want to be a part of that. When it comes to leaving a legacy, if you can just establish something today that very likely is going to leave things better tomorrow, then I think you've done good. And that's what I want to be a part of. That is so inspiring. You are being a part of the change that you would like to see and hopefully experience. Absolutely. I love that. Logan. Yeah, I guess, Lynn, I love that response. And I I love this question because it's always so interesting to hear different people's answers who, who work in the space. So for me, I grew up in a rural logging community in Northern California. And, you know, it's just a stunningly beautiful part of the world. My mother was a public school teacher. My father worked at the local uh, lumber mill. And the way that funding worked for my school, it was structured that the school district's operating budget was in large part dictated by the volume of local timber sales. The quality of my education, as well as my mother's income source, quite literally and directly depended on this continued harvest of local natural resources. And then similarly with my father working at the lumber mill, I was exposed to industrial environments at a pretty early age where I would go into the mill with my dad and I'd see the the logs go through this process to be converted into finished lumber. And, you know, we'd also go out in the woods and hike and bike and camp and fish, that sort of thing. And we lived right on the edge of, of a national park. And I remember, you know, growing up, being out in the woods, suddenly coming upon a clear cut where this microclimate went from being kind of cool and shaded with lots of wildlife to like wide open, dry, windy, no animals, no trees for hundreds of yards on on all sides. And if you actually look at the satellite view on Google Maps, you can see the boundary of this national park just based on where the timber cuts stop. And, you know, not all the local timber companies operated in this clear cut kind of way. And, and, you know, the one based in my town in particular was one of the first forest stewardship council or a FSC certified companies in the United States. And so they operated very much with this kind of sustainable harvest, responsible forest management approach. And, and so for me, I think this fascination with this kind of human environment interaction and, and specifically the role that business plays in both the social influences on our society and the environmental impacts on, on the planet. I think you know that kind of nexus that I was really exposed to throughout my childhood and grappling with those tensions and trade-offs has always been pretty central to honestly my identity as well as my, my professional pursuits. Well, that's a very unique experience there, Logan, growing up right in the mix of watching directly what the impact of humans interacting with the environment can actually uh, produce. Candace, what's your response to this? What led you into this industry and what continues to motivate you? 
So my passion for people really led me into this industry and role. And I think for me, people will always be my motivator and driving factor. So being able to navigate through creating a safe and better space for all of our people at our organization is what really keeps me persistent. And I often explain the work that I'm doing today. It's almost like building a bridge that others will get to cross someday. So that's what really keeps me motivated and going in this space. I absolutely love that, Candice. I resonate with that so deeply because my passion for people is actually what led me into the ESG field, right? Following the S, the social part of ESG to pivot my career from asset management into this field, which conveniently leads me into this interesting question that I have for you all. You know, there can be a tension between an individual's normative values and a company's mission and purpose to generate profits. Or at times, we can see that a company's culture that keeps the status quo can be something that actually marginalizes certain groups versus evolving to be more inclusive in opportunities. And even sometimes fair reward structures are not observed because of a company's internal culture. Have any of you felt this type of tension in your career and how did you manage it? So I can I can start here. Um, I think I am the most senior of the panel. <laughs> so, um, so I definitely have had quite a bit of experience applicable to this question. So first of all, I'll start with this. I do believe that you can do well by doing good. We hear that statement. It is more than just an adage to me. I think that it's almost a cause and effect in, in my mind. So I want to start with that. But yes, I have definitely felt that tension. And, st- and, and in fact, I'm still managing that tension. Every level of the company, I have experienced it. And um, what I think is first, and admittedly, I'm still working on this, how to do this. I try not to give those things power. And in so doing, I really recognize my own power. And I have to exercise that power, though. It just can't exist. I have to leverage it. And that's really, I think of it as in terms of power over my actions and my reactions. That's the, the a critical first step in my view to managing this, this tension. Now, what I want to also acknowledge, though, is that it requires some real and I would say often difficult level setting because you have to ensure that what you believe exists or perceive exists, what actually does exist. So you've got to look very carefully at facts and circumstances and be data-based so that you're, in, you're ensuring that your actions kind of meet the moment when it comes to the problem and the tension that you're addressing. I definitely agree with that. The self-management, right? Reactions and responses, as well as communicating your findings. I think that's really the most effective way to get buy-in, to get people to actually understand what's happening and the impact of certain choices and decisions. Of course, informing business strategy based off of that information. I totally agree in terms of a data-informed approach for doing well, for doing good. Similar to Lynn, I inherently believe that there is that sort of acting with integrity as a business and considering broadly the, the impacts your business has on your stakeholders is ultimately in the best interest of the company. And I think there's tremendous value and opportunity in doing kind of quote unquote, the right thing. It's just that expressing that value in 
the sort of traditional financial or business terms is sometimes very challenging, but you know, by no means impossible. And I think in many ways, addressing that tension head on and being able to kind of connect business value to sustainability performance and this broader evaluation of what's good for society and the environment is for me, what makes this work so fun and interesting. So I did want to share, you know, what I've experienced in, in witnessing some of my clients, especially early on, when we started to enter into the space five, six years ago, companies were mainly driven by investors to sort of try to respond and, and push initiatives. Uh, and as we started to work with individuals who were very passionate about it, you could see the company wanted to go to this line, but after a while, we had uh, advocates internal or our clients really wanted to push the bar and uh, push the boundaries and go beyond bare minimums. And so seeing that internal riff and, 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 and us as consultants here, we, we're not going to get involved in the fray, but it was really cool to empower them with the necessary data benchmarking, right? To see how far you can go so they can become advocates internally so they can turn around to their companies and, and make a point for why you know, this company and that company are really driving and uh, we don't want to be left behind. So a little different you know, spin on it, but again, certainly they've experienced it, but not just directly, but, but witnessing it with our clients. Yeah. Thanks for that feedback, Anthony. You know, it is a spin to the question since you haven't experienced the tension personally, but definitely your perspective and in your role, right, your position in witnessing corporate clients working to manage their ESG risks for their companies and inherently, you're supporting them strategically in managing their internal tensions along the way. So I'm sure you have plenty of stories, you know, that are encouraging to you and seeing the impact that you actually make in the space. And speaking of supporting others, I would like for us to pivot into this next segment of our discussion and talk about people who have supported you in your careers in a unique context that I would like to frame here, and I think would really speak personally to plenty of our listeners. For me, along my career journey, there are several people who have made a special and tremendous impact on my life without even knowing it. And that's really because they were not in a formal position to do so, such as a mentor or perhaps even a sponsorship role in my life. And with those experiences, I've seen the power of how being a light, you know, being a generous person with information, supporting others and sharing resources, or even really being a source of encouragement to identify certain skills that you see in an up and coming professional. For instance, you know, a more recent experience for me is during my previous career at Invesco, a couple of former colleagues, James Nelson and Obi Akinwafor, who are in senior leadership roles there made a point to mention my gift and talent with media and public speaking. And they told me to continue investing in that skill set. And it was that encouragement and positive reinforcement that gave me the confidence to pitch the idea and create ESG Unlocked as a platform that I could lead in my passion for creating access to financial literacy and empowering marginalized groups but at the same time, creating a table for diverse representation in our field that I feel is really lacking. And I've never seen that before in our ESG landscape. With that context, I'd like to inspire our listeners, right? Like I said before, to hopefully be able to do something similar. Do any of you have experiences with people who have positively impacted you in some way without them knowing the degree that they did? That question for me, 
I feel like a lot of things that I do here now kind of been weaved into the fabric of who I am. I and mean, it goes back to my athletic playing days and, uh, and the coaches that I've had throughout. It's been a very long time since I've been on the fields, but uh, some of the lessons that I learned, especially around building a team, uh, having a team striving for a goal, but really, you know, the, the coaches that certainly impacted me that it may or may not know at the time was having them understand the individual aspects of coaching or, or managing people individually. And I feel like that was something that had helped me then and, and certainly helped me as a manager, but uh, to, to be able to understand what motivates them and then finding ways to support and encourage them throughout their journey has really been paramount to, to, to the person and the manager I am now. That's awesome. I Absolutely can resonate with that too. Growing up as a competitive athlete, moments I look back on from being either on a squash team, tennis team, or field hockey team that still come up in my life today. So, you know, I think one takeaway from that, that I'm hearing from you, Anthony, is like being seen and heard as an individual. And that actually can motivate you to, to do the same and see and hear other people for who they are and impact how you relate with them, which is yeah, absolutely empowering. Does anyone else have a story to share about how somebody made a great contribution to your life, even though they probably don't know the, the, the reach that it had? Pamela, I've had many strong leaders take a chance on me over the course of my career. And I would say they really invested their time in developing me as a leader, which I'm forever thankful for. But in hindsight, it wasn't formal. It was very informal. And it was almost like I wasn't aware of the impact in the end that, that you know, them taking their time on me would, would give me. So I love what you said. I think people need people to show up for them, just like you said, Pamela. There's so much power and impact in showing up for people and providing them an opportunity or even seeing something in them that they might not recognize in themselves quite yet. So I personally believe that's where the magic happens. And I've had many instances like this, and it has shaped me into the person and also the practitioner, I think that I am today, which really has taught me to lean into things that you might be scared of or not sure about and how the risk is really worth the reward. So, you know, me paying it forward, I try to do the same thing with people that I interact with and work with and really show up for them because I think that's impactful. That's interesting. Both you and Anthony shared how you are actually doing the same because you were a recipient of that. And I love that for our listeners. I think part of the reason I asked this question is really, I, I would like our listeners to be inspired to do that. Mm -hmm. If they haven't been a recipient of someone showing up for someone to encourage them, you never know how far that could go, but you could be that person who starts that, that chain for somebody else. Pamela, let me just share this quick story because the, the focus of your question was just like someone unlikely who didn't even know that they impacted mm -hmm. you. Yeah. And, um, and as I thought about that, the answer was so clear to me because there've been many, but there were two members of the custodial staff at Genworth that I encountered at different times, worked in different buildings and the like, one of whom was incredibly poised, positive, always put together and prideful. And she really understood her self-worth. And then there was another who didn't quite uh, understand her self-worth as much. And she was about to embark on an experience that was new to her, that was so routine for many of us. She was about to travel three states over, and she'd never done that. 
she was talking to me one day and she said, you know, I don't know about the tolls or the distance or the gas money. So we got, we, we kind of just chatted and we looked up some stuff so we could try to figure out how much gas it was going to take and the like. And she was going to a place that I normally go, but, but this was all new to her. And after that discussion, which was easy for me, I took a few minutes and did this. She left me the most heartfelt note on a post-it in my office, the, the most heartfelt note I'd ever received. And, and from these two individuals, I kind of understood the importance of what you were talking about before and Anthony and Candace both seeing people mm-hmm. and encouraging people to see the best in themselves. And from yes. that experience, it helped me to see myself. And, and I thought that it was such a compelling experience both times. And it's happened many times. I've got many stories along those lines, but it was so impactful that I just wanted to share that because it was apropos of what both Anthony and Candace said. Thank you, Lynn, for sharing that. It's, it's the simplest thing sometimes, right? When we are able to meet people where they are. All of this actually reminds me of this saying by Maya Angelou. I think it goes something like, I have found that among its other benefits, giving liberates the soul of the giver. I love those anecdotes. I think there's no way that, you know, I could have gotten to where I am without the kind of support and mentorship and thoughtful management of folks. I mean, throughout my life and like really like standing on the shoulders of of folks who have, have helped bring me up. And I think in this specific instance, kind of thinking of an individual who may not have known. I do think of a a former colleague who just taught me so much about, you know, managing projects and navigating complex organizations and tricky stakeholders. And I just learned so much from this person. They unfortunately passed away. And I find myself often kind of reflecting on this person and how much I've learned from them and, and really missing them in my lives as kind of a continued continued mentor, but also thinking about the importance of expressing gratitude mm-hmm. and, and really being explicit with the folks in your life about the appreciation for, for that mentorship, for that guidance, and really also being intentional and paying it forward. Yes, 100% agree with you there, Logan. In fact, I appreciate your openness, all of you, and everything that you shared here. There is a quote by John Maxwell that comes to mind immediately for me, and it's really based off of everything that all of us shared right now, and it's, leadership is not about titles, positions, or flow charts. It's about one life influencing another, and I came across this quote earlier in my 20s, and I absolutely try to live by that. Every time I come across people who who ask for my help or if I see something myself. So I think this is a perfect time for us to switch gears a little bit. From your vantage point, how has the corporate sustainability profession evolved and how do you see it evolving, let's say in the next five years? I mean, I can I can jump in on this when I, you know, I haven't been around for that long, but I have seen a pretty incredible evolution just in my relatively brief professional life from, you know, it being kind of a rarity that a company has any kind of sustainability program in general, uh, you know, even when it's owned by like a non-dedicated function like EHS or marketing to the kind of mainstreaming of hiring for sustainability roles and teams. And notably, you know, I think a lot of these kind of start as non-strategic, non-integrated, maybe reporting-oriented roles. But then that has moved into, you know, mainstreaming of chief sustainability officers, of 
formal board oversight of getting into sort of the true integration of sustainability across functions within an organization where, you know, everyone is expected to kind of think and act with sustainability in mind within their own specialized roles. And I think with that kind of trend continuing and with this emergence of more ambitious regulatory frameworks, uh, I, I see the sustainability function just getting closer and closer to the center of the organization, you know, closer to finance, closer to strategy, to legal, to operations, product, uh, and needing in many ways to be kind of a jack of all trades where you've got a deep understanding of the company's industry and you need that in order to be effective, but also be able to educate different functions across the organization on how sustainability principles can be kind of meaningfully integrated and embedded into the organization in order to achieve the ambitious goals that companies are setting, which will require real and meaningful change and improvement. Yeah, I mean, I'm not qualified to predict, but, uh, you know, looking back to five, six years that ICS has been helping corporate issuers here, it's just been an expansive growth, very accelerated to that degree. You know, I, I do wonder, you know, as far as the growth, you know, will will, will that sustain or will we see some uh, bit of contraction? I think the key thing that Logan stated that kind of stuck out to me, you know, I feel like uh, we should expect more regulation, of course, and that will realign things as we see forward or as we move forward. But I just can only imagine uh, the, the further reach, but more importantly, as, um, as so many have been, you know, either providers or just general interest overall. I sense that uh, we could see slight contraction, but more importantly, regulation that could form the way we see the next five years would be my my two cents. Yeah, the regulation will definitely give us at least a baseline, right, to, that maintains. Well, let me just add this interesting perspective, because I think that uh, uh, to the, the previous points, it's becoming more structured, but I would say also more data-driven. But I believe that that can cut both ways. And I'm a big proponent of balance and reasonability in assessing almost anything. And these sustainability issues are just that. It's still something I think we need to impose some balance and reasonability around. I think that data, we are looking, it, it has to indicate that there is an issue that needs to be addressed. I think that there's data that supports that issues are being addressed and companies are being asked to, to provide that, but also data to indicate that addressing the issues is really making a difference. I believe strongly that you can't ask for that that you don't give. So I think on both sides of this equation, there has to be data that's shared and imparted so that we reach the right balance. Candace? Sure. I think for me, quote kind of Logan, what he said early, early in my career in this space, but I think it has evolved tremendously over the last even five years. And I think companies are striving to want to do better and are investing the time, money, and resources into doing so. So, you know, companies focusing on employee engagement, investor relations, brand recognition, risk mitigation, environmental and economic initiatives. I think they're all integral parts that companies are focusing on and should because it's doing what is right. So I know for our company, you know, we really look at it as a win-win for all the company, its investors, our employees. And I think it really shows the positive impact behind the scope of our business and our bottom line. 
And I think it's going to continue to do that. I think there's companies in different spaces or different progression points of corporate responsibility. And I can, you know, speaking from my company, I think that we've dug our heels in and we're going to continue to, to progress that work over the next five years. So we're more on, I think, the beginning stages of that work. And we've done a lot in the last couple of years that we're really proud of. I think that it will just continue to evolve. Yeah, I think also highlighting what Lynn just said about data, the data aspect, integration. And like you're saying, if something makes sense and there is value, it, it, it's, it's people will continue to hold on to that and continue to invest in that. And I think evidence in some of the changes we're seeing and hopefully the next five years, we'll continue to see more of it, right? We can only hope. Yep. <laughs> like um, Anthony said, we, we can't predict the future, but I think the indicators are there to show that there is value in, in this field and what we all do. Now, I'd like to get into the skill side of our work. You know, whenever I meet people who ask about what I do, or in some cases, it's people who are social media friends and they're intrigued by some of the episode topics. And they'll typically ask me, how did you get into this field? They've never heard of ESG specifically as a career along their own career journey. I mean, I always tell them the story of how it was really because of someone with a servant leadership mindset who I actually didn't know personally. This was an individual. Her name's April. She was also somebody at my previous employer. She saw me doing something in my, really in my element on a live webinar that was talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And she reached out and, you know, via email and connected me to someone who introduced me to this industry. She thought that person would be a great mentor for me. So this was really someone looking out for me, thought my skills were being underutilized where I was at that point. So my journey into this field is unique and that it was really because of somebody looking out for me that saw something in me. Now, for all listeners who, let's say, who have children, mentees, or friends, or even for themselves who are early in their careers and are interested in pivoting into this industry, what would be your advice to them? I mean, I have some standard advice, just general of always looking to be inquisitive, you know, especially if you sense others that you are interested in learning more about are in the space. And the second that I would say the eagerness to learn, I think sustainability is so broad and you are interested in the field and, and showing that passion. And again, eager to learn. I think those are, are two qualities that will certainly help. And, you know, and, and, and I'm sure if you are run, run across, I'm sure any of the panelists or people in the network of folks in the panelists, you'll see someone take an interest in, in providing you with more information to, you know, find an opportunity. Absolutely. I think the best advice I would give is to really dig deep, always be open-minded, willing to listen and learn. And I think for me, corporate responsibility individuals are always working across multiple departments and they're responsible for communicating and collaborating with others. So rely heavily on building and strengthening relationships. I think strategic thinking, research and analytics are, are really core skill sets that are dependent upon this kind of role also. Totally agree with you, Candice. I think you know, maybe putting a little different spin on my comments about where I see the, the space heading, I think it's going to be increasingly important to be able to get deeply technical on some topics while being this expert collaborator and having kind of a general understanding of a variety of different business functions, you know, enough to be dangerous. And so from that perspective, I think my advice is don't wait to get started on building expertise in some areas of interest 
and also be looking to gain exposure to different industries and different types of work and take some risks. I think for, for me and definitely what I've seen with other peers is I think sustainability careers are rarely linear and that's okay. And you know, maybe that's even preferred. Yeah. Helena, what's your, what's your feedback here? So, you know, I would start with this, um, really, really having a commitment beyond just an interest is important because this space is an interesting one. I will just say this, those who are authentically engaged in this work tend to be successful in this work. And while it is something that you might want to visit to get some experience in, is that true commitment that's um, that's most important. And the other thing I, I will say, because many of my thoughts have already been articulated, but just the the importance of the ability to communicate, because mm-hmm. not only did Candace mention the, the the kind of interfunctionality or cross functionality of the role, but the ability to position what you're doing and why you're doing it and what you're not doing and why you're not doing it is so key. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think the advice you all gave was fantastic and actionable. Let's get to this next portion, um, which is a lightning round of questions for you all. And you will have one sentence responses, so at least try to, <laughs> to respond in one sentence where you can. The first question, in your opinion, what do you think is one of the most important skills for a sustainability or ESG practitioner to have? Anthony. Uh, I'll try to summarize it in one sentence, but being inquisitive, eagerness to learn, passion. Lynn? I think the ability to consider different perspectives and points of view and coalesce around a strategy. Logan? Critical thinking and strategic communication forward thinking, knowledge of how the business operates, sensitivity and understanding, creative problem solving, strong and effective communication, and understanding how to influence people. Mm, Influencing people, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. What book has had the biggest impact on you for your growth and development? This is a personal plug because I'm a character in this book, but it is uh, Season of Life by Jeffrey Marks. For for me, it's a, a team of rivals uh, by Doris Kearns Goodwin. Bill McDonough's Cradle to Cradle. And I know you said book singular, but also given my background of Patagonia, I have to make a plug for Let My People Go Surfing. <laughs> <laughs> um, mine would be The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And, and honestly, recently, I'm reading um, Daring to Lead by Brene Brown, and all of her mm-hmm. books are remarkable. Uh, Stephen Covey is one of my favorites, too. Yep. Same. <laughs> all right. Describe your working style in one word. Supportive. Committed. Collaborative. Mine would be collaborative as well. What two to three words would, you, would your colleagues use to describe you? Personable, giving, consistent. Authentic, accountable, fair, and I've got to add a fourth because it's true, exacting. I feel like I should ask you, Pamela and Anthony, uh, but (laughs) hopefully they would say strategic and friendly. I would add proactive for you, Logan. Thank you. Oh, that's a good one. 
For me, it would be knowledgeable, approachable, and personable. What is your best work from home tip? Daily to-do list, writing it out, circling it, checking it off. Boundaries, because I haven't imposed enough of them and I'm feeling the impact of not having done so. Hmm. I think we're in a moment where workers can drastically improve their quality of life you know, by working from home and if done with discipline can create more value for the businesses that they work for by being happier and healthier, more productive. So don't give your company any reason to doubt your effectiveness working from home. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, mine would be to take breaks, right? I mean, I'm going to go simple, but get some vitamin D, step out, um, get some air and then jump back in and seize the day. What is your proudest work accomplishment? It's been uh, seeing the folks over the years that I've hired, trained, invested in, seeing them actually, you know, go on to, to do great things here at the company, become highly contributing members of our staff. It is a, a collective of events where uh, the feedback I have gotten or somebody has said of me that I really always try to do the right thing. Now, right is subjective, but I, I really appreciate that. And I think that that is a significant accomplishment for me personally, and it's rooted in my desire to be fair. I think being asked to participate in this podcast. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think, you know, I've had the opportunity to kind of put my fingerprints on a couple of companies, business and sustainability strategies, and pretty proud of that work. I think it's being where I am today. I'm most proud of staying the course. And I say staying the course because I'm passionate truly about helping people and continuing to develop the organization. Now have that opportunity to do that in my day-to-day -day work. I always say to find something you're passionate about and you get to do that every day. That's something I'm going to be always proud about. Yeah, I agree with that. What is your best or most impactful career advice you have received? Small things matter. Thank you letters, words of encouragement, inspiration in the moment. Oh my gosh, I so agree with that, Anthony. And and I think that what I, I would add to is that someone told me never do anything that will disrupt your sleep at night. Oh, you always yeah. have to be able to put your head on the pillow and go to sleep without a care in the world. Mm -hmm. And I, I have definitely adhered to that advice. That's a great one, Lynn. That's a good one. I think really uh, impactful career advice, follow your passions not necessarily what people say you should do. Mm. For me, mine would be stay the course. It really resonated with me and taught me to dig my heels in deep and, and just enjoy the ride. I think we get caught up sometimes, but enjoy the work you're doing. Enjoy the ride. Absolutely. I think those are great answers and I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I'm sure our listeners would agree with me 100% when I say this was fun and insightful all at once. What's actually special about this episode for me is how the panel actually came about. So Logan and Anthony, I invited you both to be on this panel because of your credibility in who you say you are. In fact, you guys, of course, highlighted that in this conversation. Being supportive and uplifting is definitely one of those things. I actually quickly saw that in both of you when I joined ICS, that was, you know, back in September of 2021, but you 
both were colleagues I quickly identified as allies in my career journey at ICS that I could also genuinely respect as people. Candace and Lynn, you were both nominated by individuals who respect and admire who you are. That speaks volumes to your integrity in this business. Right. Your positive outlooks and passion for your work shines through your voices. And I'm sure our listeners also picked up on that. Thank you all for joining and investing in the ESG and law community with your knowledge, experience and wisdom. I really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Pamela. So much. It's been a great conversation. It's been a pleasure.